0: Good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones, and I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. Today we are in part five of our six-part series called No Freedom. And next week we are wrapping up the series and we are ending with communion, and so you won't want to miss out next week. Now In this series, we have been exploring the subject of decisions or commitments, and when we look at the logo of the series there, we see two words in that first word. We see K-N-O-W, no, and then we also see the other word that's highlighted, N-O, no. And when many of us uh, go up against commitments or decide to make a commitment, there's a lot of us that don't want to make that commitment because we feel like we will have no freedom, N-O, no freedom when we make those commitments. But as we have gone through this series, we have seen that God has a different perspective on our commitments. When we make God-honoring commitments, then we come to experience true freedom. And we actually understand what it means to have freedom as we make those choices. Now, uh, today we are going to be spending time on a commitment that affects all of us. It's a commitment uh, that none of us like to make and that no one really wants to hold to because it's really hard to keep. Um, it is a commitment, though, that ends up uh, potentially costing us a lot or from really impacting our futures and robbing our futures if we don't make this commitment. And it is the commitment to stay out of debt. Yeah, ooh, can I get it? Ooh, yeah, there we go. Hey, if you're a spender, go, no, spenders. Okay, there's more spenders than that. Come on, all right, spenders. Oh, there we go. Hey, if you're a saver, go, yes. All right. Hey, we got a lot of savers in the room. Just try to get you fired up for the Super Bowl tonight, all right? So anyways, um, whether you are a saver or a spender, none of us like to go into debt. I mean, there's not one person in this room that says, hey, give me more debt. You know, no one is saying, give me more debt in this room. It's kind of like the uh, frog in the kettle principle. Uh, If you're familiar with that, if a frog is place in a kettle that starts to warm up and boil, it doesn't feel that it's getting warmer. It's kind of like that for us in debt. As we get into the waters of debt, it kind of feels nice, you know, Uh, and then we start to find that freedom that we think debt will bring us and we are able to get the things that we want. But then all of a sudden the water gets warmer and warmer and all of a sudden it is boiling and we find ourselves being cooked uh, with the amount of debt that we are in. Now, I remember my first uh, date with uh, debt. I don't know if you remember your first date with debt, but I was 18 years old, and my mama said to me, son, you know, your dad and I've been talking. It would be good uh, for you to get a credit card because, you know, your dad and I, we had a hard time of building good credit, and so you need to build good credit. And so I remembered that envelope that came into the mail um, and I opened up that envelope and out came this shiny, sleek plastic of wealth, you know, and it had this cool hologram on it. And I put it in my wallet and I was ready to discover because discover said it pays for you to discover Yeah, I found out that it did pay for me to discover, all right? So the first time I missed my credit card bill, I got this late fee, I got all this interest fee, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I got to pay that much more? I only bought something that was 10 bucks, and now I owe like 20 bucks, you know? I mean, so, you know, when I experienced that, did it keep me from going back into the waters? No. I kept going back and building more debt and more debt because I thought, I thought, That it would bring me freedom. But the more I got into debt, I found out that it did not bring me any freedom. You know, isn't that what debt does? You know, doesn't it look so appealing, but yet when we get in it, we don't know like what's happening or we didn't expect that to happen. Uh, We find out that we think we can manage that debt, but we find out that it manages us. Well, I love what King Solomon wrote. Um, who was the wisest person on earth about debt. And he said many things about debt. And this is one of the things that he said in debt. In Proverbs 22, 7, he said, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Let's say that together on the count of three, okay? One, two, three. Just as the rich rule the poor... So the borrower is servant to the lender. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. Isn't that how we feel? Like when we get into debt, don't we feel restricted? Don't we feel constrained by the pressures that that brings upon our lives? Now, when you think about debt, there's a whole spectrum of debt. And on one side of debt, we can get into really big trouble when we get into debt. It can break us. It can take everything that we have. For some of us, we've experienced this. Maybe we got our first credit card, and all of a sudden, we max it out. And then we get another credit card and another credit card, and we max that one out, and we max that one out. Soon we start getting in trouble because we don't have any money, and we start not being able to pay our utility bills. And then we get these notices threatening to shut down our utilities. Or maybe uh, you've been at this point, which is really tough, okay? Maybe some of you have been in the spot where you get behind on your rent or you get behind on your mortgage payment, and then they start calling up and they say, hey, you got to come up with this money or you are out and you can lose your home. Or for maybe some of us, you know, we have this car that we've bought, or that we bought, and uh, we get behind on making those payments, and then we get so far behind that they take the car back, and we now we don't have a car, and we're stuck with this debt because they sold it for this amount, we paid this amount, and we're responsible for that amount that we still owe on that car, but yet we don't have a car in that moment. That's how powerful debt can be. That's how much it can break us. Or maybe for some of us, you know, maybe um, the other side of the spectrum that you might be on is that you're not behind on your payments, you know. You're you're up to date with all those payments, but you're living beyond your means because you have so much debt tied up in your mortgage, in your credit cards, in your cars, in your student loans, and you find yourself working more than you should. And we start feeling the pressure at home. We start feeling that we might, you know, miss out on time with our family, or we aren't investing in our kids as much as we would like because we're working so hard. It creates a tension in our marriage, and we're always arguing about money, and it's always the subject of the evening. Or if for some reason we were to lose our job, then what would we do? Where would we turn? Because there's a certain amount that it takes for both of us to make to be able to make it. And if something were to happen to that income level, such as an unexpected pregnancy, or maybe the economy turns south, or maybe we lose our job, then it creates stress in our lives. And it creates a potential for disaster in our finances and in our relationships because we have no margin. That's the power of debt. And that's how much it can control us. But did you know that's not what God ever intended for us? We think that we have to live with debt in this society. We think that it's normal. But when we look throughout Scripture, God gives us tons of advice on finances, tons of advice on debt. And yet he doesn't force us to make any decisions. He just says, here's a choice. Here's the choice that you need to make on your own. And so today, we're going to check out that choice. We're going to check out how the choice that God offers up to us in order for us to have the financial freedom that we all want. We all want to be in a good spot. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Luke chapter 16, uh, verse 1. And if you've got a smartphone device, feel free to use that as well. If you don't have a Bible, we'll rent one to you, or you can pay an annual subscription uh, from the back. No, just kidding. All right. Bibles in the back are always free, and it is a gift to you. But we'll go ahead and put up the text on the screen, but it's always good to be able to find it in your Bible. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 1, I'll give you a moment to get there. All right, let me set the scene for us. So here is Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who has come to show us exactly who God is. And uh, one day he's out teaching the crowds about God, some people who don't believe in God and some people who do believe in God. And all of a sudden he kind of has a halftime and he turns to his 12 disciples, his inner circle, and he wants to teach them this one certain lesson. Uh, and he uses a parable, which is a made-up story uh, to illustrate one main truth or one main point about God, and he really wants his disciples to hear this. And maybe he saw some Pharisees in the crowd or something, and they were kind of right there near him, so they could have been listening in, and so he tells them this story. And you got to realize that the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day back then, they taught that if you had money— then obviously you were walking with God and you were doing the right things. If you did not have money, then obviously you were not walking with God or you might have been in trouble with God. Well, Jesus being Jesus, he wants to set things straight and he wants to tell his disciples what is the most important thing that you can do with your money and with your resources and how you can use those that what God has entrusted to you. And so he tells this made up story to get their attention. And sure enough, we'll get our attention as we go along in this passage. So starting in verse one of Luke chapter 16. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager, in some of your translations, a steward. So there was a certain rich man who had a steward who was handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager, the steward, was wasting his employer's money. Now, if we were part of the disciples, we were part of this crowd, and we heard him telling this story, we might have started to lean in because it's possible that something had just happened like that in the community, and Jesus is borrowing from it, and we know that it was kind of popular because everybody was had their iPhones out checking Facebook, and everybody was giving thumb-down emojis about this story that was happening in that day and age. Um, it could have been the scandal of the month or something. But Jesus, even if it wasn't the scandal of the month, people would have started to lean in. And the reason that they started to lean is is because if a steward was mishandling funds, that was major. Being a steward was a major responsibility. Here's kind of a definition of being a steward. A steward was someone entrusted with another's wealth or property, and they were responsible for managing it for the owner's best interest not for their own interest, but for the owner's best interest, as if they were the owner themselves, all right? So ultimately, success for a steward was where they found to be faithful. That was the mark of success. And so if a steward was not faithful in the affairs of someone else, then that was serious. So people were leaning in into this story to see where this was going to go. So let's see how serious it was. In verse 2, so the employer called him in and said, what, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Now, everybody would have like started looking at each other. I mean, what Jesus just said, they would have started looking at each other, not because of the steward being fired, but in what the owner did not do. You see, back then, if this were to happen, it was within the owner's right to be able to throw you in jail, throw you in prison. They had all the right to beat you. They had all the right to even take your life. And so in this moment, everyone's like, what? What did this owner, what did he not do? Instead, he gives him time. He gives this steward time to get his report in order. Are you serious? And everyone listening would have been perplexed, especially the Pharisees, because at that point, they knew that in this story, the owner represents God, that God owns all things and gives all things. And so they would have been perplexed because God did not exact punishment on this servant. That's not what they taught. Instead, this owner shows a little bit of mercy, shows a little bit of grace, and he gives him time And he's somewhat kind to this guy. So that's not what they would have expected in this moment. I mean, especially for someone who's mishandling funds. I mean, what would we do? Would we be that gracious with someone who was mishandling our funds? So let's continue on, see how this steward responds, especially to this gracious act. Okay, so picking up in verse three, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me, I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. Now, you would think that this manager would have gotten the point when he was kind of stopped in his tracks, you know, that he would stop scheming, he would stop coming up with little plans and everything. I mean, the guy has just been caught red-handed in, in misusing his employer's fund. Potentially stealing the funds, you know? And now he's going to pull off one more scheme. But we get this, don't we? I mean, we get this story, you know? When we max out on debt, don't we say simply, you know what? That's it. You know? I'm not gonna buy anything more. But then all of a sudden, here comes this iPhone and I gotta have it. And it's the last thing. I promise, it's the last thing. I won't go into debt spending anymore after that. You know, it's kind of like the bug and those bug zappers. You remember those things, you know? Uh, the lightsabers that light up at night, and all of a sudden, you know, the bugs come flying in, and then, you know? We're kind of like those bugs, aren't we? You know, we look at debt, and we say, ooh, that looks attractive, more debt. I can get that, I can get that. And we fly into the lightsaber or the bug zapper, and, you know, new clothes, you know? All of a sudden, new TV for the Super Bowl, ouch, that might have hurt a few of you, um, you know? New car instead of used car, you know? All of a sudden, new house, you know? How many times will it take us to stay away from debt, but instead we get closer and closer and, you know? That's the power of debt. That's how strong it is. And doesn't the manager kind of remind us of ourselves? I know he does for me. You know, there's been plenty of times in my life where I try to come up with a scheme to do this, to do that, to get that, and come up with all these plans to be able to do that and this, and yet they backfire or they don't go as well as I want, you know? Don't we all do that? Don't we all fly into those situations, you know? So let's continue on to see exactly uh, what God does uh, in that situation, especially with this manager you know? And here's the amazing thing, you know? What did God give to this manager? He gives him time. And doesn't God do that with us as well? Doesn't he give us time to continue to manage the things that he's given us? Well, let's check this out and see what he did with his time, this uh, steward. So verse five, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil, which was a lot back then. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So basically, the manager, in his remaining time, reduced the amount that each of these guys owed to his owner. So basically, what he was doing was, hey, I'll be good to you guys. Remember me in the future when I'm jobless, okay? And so he's securing his own future. Now, we don't know if this guy was like skimming off the top, which man, reducing those bills, that was a big margin he put on those guys. Or we don't know if he was kind of like sticking it to the boss and saying, you know what, you've empowered me to the end here. I'm going to you know, just give you all this, you know, but you're not going to get all of it. And I know you won't go after those guys. Well, regardless of what it was, um, these guys who were in debt were more than happy to have their bills reduced. I mean, These reductions represent a lot of money back then. And these guys were ecstatic, you know, that things went their way. But what happens when things don't go our way, you know? God's written so much in Scripture warning us not to borrow, warning us to not be in debt and to think about, uh, you know, what to do before we go into debt. What are the implications? Have you thought all of those things out? Well, when Sarah and I uh, were living in Atlanta at one point we came to a place where we thought, hey, it's time to buy a house. It's just time for us to buy a house. And uh, we had saved up rather uh, largely a large down payment. Now, looking back at the situation, I mean, there could have been a lot of things that had backfired on us because we did not do our due diligence as much as we should have. And so we had this rather large um, down payment, but it wasn't enough to pay for the PMI. And so I thought, hey, this is what we'll do. You know, We will take out a piggyback loan and we will you know, pay down the mortgage enough with the other loan so that we don't have to pay PMI and I get some rather large bonuses from my company and we'll pay off that smaller loan quicker. Okay. Now, you got to remember, at this point, we don't have any kids. Both Sarah and I are working. But we were also, at that point, I couldn't quite, like, pay for everything on my paycheck alone. But yet we had this desire that if we were to have children, that Sarah would be able to stay home with them. But I thought, you know, hey, I am close to getting this major promotion. Once I get that promotion, then we're set. Well, then the recession of 2008 happens, Okay. And I was working for a company that was impacted very much. And a lot of the companies that we did business with uh, in Atlanta uh, were also impacted, and I lost my bonuses. Okay? And now we weren't in like a financial mess or anything like that, but we had a lot of plans that were kind of set. You know, we thought, hey, when we move into this house, I'll use part of my bonus to pay down that mortgage. Well, the house costs more than we, exp- I mean, fixing it up, and I used the bonus there at first and then also no bonuses, and we just never planned for me to lose my bonuses, for a recession to happen, for my company to be sold to another company, and there were other factors that we just had not planned for. Now, when I think about thinking back then what happened, you know, things could have been really bad for us, but they weren't. But if things did get really bad for us, the question that comes to my mind is who would I have blamed back then? Would I have blamed God for not providing or would I have owned it up, owned up and said, you know what? I made some bad financial decisions that could have impacted us severely. Now don't answer this out loud, but where are you at? You know, where are you at with debt? If something were to happen, are you at the place where you would blame God because all of a sudden an unexpected pregnancy happens, or you lost your job, or you got sick, which stops you from working? Or would you own it? Would you own your financial decisions? That's what could happen if things do go wrong. So let's continue on in the story and see what happens and how this plays out. So diving back in, here's these guys that got off the hook, okay, this time, maybe not next time, and um, here's what the owner has to say to this manager, okay? Now, get ready. I mean, this guy, you know, he knows what this guy has done, and so he's going to give it to him, and it'll probably surprise us, all right? Verse 8, the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal. Did God just call somebody a rascal? Yes, he did, okay? Okay? Remember, this is a made-up story, all right? <clears throat> but that first part, the rich man had to admire, and we'll get to that in a second, the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are, chil- than are the children of light. And so what does that mean? Some of you, after reading that, you're like, did Jesus just give like, the guy thumbs up for having this shrewd plan, you know? I mean, all right, all right. I'm not paying back my debt. Hey, don't do that, all right? Jesus is not saying that here, all right? This is what Jesus is starting to set up. He is using a negative example in order to get our attention. And sure enough, it got their attention, and it gets our attention. And here's what he's trying to do, and here's what's going to come right after this passage, but we kind of need to start understanding where he's going uh, in this journey, all right? So he's starting to set this up by saying the dishonest manager, you know, Use the time he had left to make friends with the limited amount of time and resources that he had in order to secure his future, okay? And Jesus is saying here, hey, just like that manager was so clever to make friends to save his future, you know, I wish you who followed me would be just as clever in using your resources, not for dishonest gain, like this manager, but for the sake of others, to allow others to come into a relationship with me. And so we've got to understand that because what he's about to unpack here, what he's about to say in the rest of the, this passage, uh, there's a lot to take in. And I wish it could just be etched onto our hearts because it's so much. It's like drinking from the fire hose, you know. But I wanted to set that up because listen to these words that Jesus says to describe the main point here. All right. So picking up in verse nine, Jesus said, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Does that mean that the way I use my money today will impact others who will come to Christ and one day will be in heaven? Yeah. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen to what else he says. Verse 10. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Because it's not our money, it's God's money he continues on, verse 12. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, here's what I get from that. If we really want to stop struggling with debt, then we've got to make a decision, And here's the decision that we've got to make. We've got to ask the question, whose money is it? Is it God's money or is it our money? You know, Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. And we know that we know the battle, and that we know, like, when we go into debt and we try to, um, you know, live with freedom by going into debt and or living beyond our means. We know how much that can trap us, how much constraint that can be on us, how much pressure, how much pressure that can bring into our marriages and into our relationships. But do we know what it means to live the way that God has planned for us to mean to live? You know. So many of us think this mentality, that God is out to get my money, you know? Well, from his perspective, it's his money. And he has given us time to make choices on how to manage that money. And so the choice is clear in his mind. You can think it's your money, but how are you using it? That's the important part that Jesus is focused on. That's what he's most concerned about. Now, let me paint the picture of exactly what Jesus is trying to get at because I know it's confusing. We don't have a lot of great models out there of exactly what this looks like because we are so entrapped by debt in our society, all right? And so um, God wants us to get that. He wants us to use our money and our resources for the sake of others and to see them come to Christ. Now, let me set this up by showing you some uh, uh, stats here, okay? So did you realize that the average family is $90,336 in debt, okay? Now, those stats, when you look into them, the article that I read, it's actually higher for like my generation and below because people who are older, a lot of them have been like a little more faithful and paying off their debt. And so that could be a whole lot more, all right? Now, the average family pays 9% in interest alone. You wonder why there's so many banks in Palm Coast, okay? This is the reason that there's so many banks in Palm Coast. They're taking your money, 10% of it, all right? The average family spends about 25% of their income to debt, to paying the interest and to paying the debt down. But those stats, like I said, the younger generation's are bad, okay? It's even higher. I've seen stats as high as 35%, even 45% of their income goes towards debt, okay? So with that in mind, imagine this, okay? Imagine if we were committed to no debt, all right? Could you imagine what would that do just in our relationships alone, especially with our spouse? Do you know how many fights there would be avoided because we're on the same page and we are not fighting over money all the time and we're not stressing for money and we're not saying, hey, you've gotta work more, you've gotta work more, we're behind on this bill, we're behind on that bill. Imagine the stress being reduced if there was a commitment to no debt. Imagine this, imagine if all 600 people here at Epic and the power of this, okay, I'm gonna like flesh this out, for a while, all right? Imagine if all 600 of us who attend Epic committed to not being into debt and had the commitment to reach people for Jesus, okay? Could you imagine walking into the car dealership and all of a sudden uh, they're like, hey, Uh, you're paying cash this week. You're the third person this week that is paying cash instead of taking out debt. That's a little strange. Somebody said they were from Epic. Oh, you're from Epic too? Hey, imagine walking into our banks and all of a sudden they pull up your stats and they see no debt and they see that you've got money in the bank. And all of a sudden you're wondering, they're going, you're like the 10th person who's got no debt and pays their bills on time. What is going on? are you guys part of the mafia? I mean, seriously, you guys pay cash for everything, cash for couches, cash for furniture. I mean, and they're big tippers. What's going on over there at Epic? Could you imagine their reactions and what people would start saying? Imagine this, you know, if all of us, instead of paying 10% Towards interest and building banks in Palm Coast. We got enough of those. All right? If we paid 10% the tithe that God asks us to give back to Him, to the local church, what how effective we could be in this community? how many people we could hire to invest in our kids in our students in our all for the all the adults how many people could get counseling for their marriages for other issues and how many broken lives could be put back together how many people if we were able to give 10% back to the local church would be impacted our friends our family members because we start to do major projects we do 3G Sunday we do 3G Saturday do you know what we could do with 10% and how much that would be on steroids to do do major things in our community to show them that they matter to God, that they matter to him. If you talk about buildings and renting facilities with 10%, God could do all of that and still provide a facilities. We would never have to worry about that. We could have land with no problem. That's what God can do on 10% instead of paying 10% to interest only. And something else, you know, that's only the ten percent of the twenty-five percent that we pay towards debt. You know what else that would free us up to do? It'd be able to help. It would free us up to be able to help others. You know, all of us have a desire to help our friends, our family members, but it feels like we never have enough money to help them going through some crisis. Could you imagine the small groups getting together and they say, "Hey, we know, you know, Bob is going through that. I know there's a lot of Bobs in the crowd, but anyways." You know Bob is going through that serious condition. Let's all chip in some money to help this family or to help that neighbor who doesn't even come to church. Do you know the questions that they would start to ask? Questions of, why are you guys doing this? Who do you serve? What kind of God does that in our lives? Could you imagine the money that was left over and how many things that we could help in our local community? Some of those organizations that are doing amazing things, such as uh, Habitat for Humanity, Do you know how many houses we could build? How many houses for those who are hurting, who can't work anymore, those moms who are single, and how many houses could be built all on that 25%? Do you know how many things that we could do that are near and dear to God's heart of reaching orphans and widows and helping those who are in foster care? Do you realize the power of what we could do if we do not take on debt and we live in freedom? for ourselves and for this community. Do you know how many missionaries we could support that are doing a great work and seeing lives change and seeing tons of people who are coming to Christ in this world? I was just talking to a missionary and do you realize how many people, what is the number one country where people are coming to Christ? And he is a major missionary leader in this world. And he said the number one country where they're seeing the most people come to Christ right now is Iran. Isn't that amazing? That's what God can do. And so here's the question that we all need to wrestle with. Do you realize that when we use our resources, our time, and our money, that one day when our time is up, we will be greeted by hundreds, potentially thousands of people who have come to Christ because you managed your resources well here. You are a good and faithful servant. That's what God can do. That's just a snapshot of what he can do when we are not living in debt. So the question for all of us that we need to answer is this, whose money is it? You know, is it God's money? Is it our money? You know, and here's the really cool thing. God gives us plenty of time to change. He gave the steward time. He gives us time. And with his help, we can change. Now, I know a lot of you are underwater. A lot of you are working a plan and still underwater. One of the best helps that are out there is Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And we're gonna be offering that here in two weeks. On February 19th, we're gonna have an informational meeting. You can go after each service to find out more. But in that, it's nine weeks to allow you to develop a plan on how to have financial freedom and to begin to work that plan. Now, some of you are doing great There's many families that are working that plan and doing an amazing thing of getting out of debt and continuing to invest in our community. But in a moment here, we're going to close out in a word of prayer. And we're gonna close out with a song. And during that song, I want us to consider something. You know, if you're not doing well in your finances, maybe today has like opened up your eyes and saying, you know what, God, I've been so hesitant to trust you. And today, I recognize that you own all things. And so, God, I am committing to you to become a faithful steward. And so, God, would you help me? I'm going to jump into FPU. God, just help me to understand how to do things the way that you want me to do them. And if you're not ready for that commitment, maybe some of you are sitting there going, you know, I need to hear more. That's okay. I've been in that spot. And so, would you, during this song, just simply say to God, God, teach me more. And I'll go get that spiritual growth challenge that they always talk about at the Connection Center and I'll go deeper with you and with this message. And so God, I'll make that type of commitment. Because wouldn't it be amazing if we did that together? How many lives could be changed? How many lives could be in heaven and welcoming us? And how many people would be able to hear from God, well done, good and faithful servant. And so today could be the day that you make that commitment, commitment to radically get out of debt because you understand whose it is. So let's go ahead and close in prayer and then sing this song. So Father, I just thank you for everyone here. I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you. I know I've been in places where I've messed up with my money. I think it was my money. But God, I just thank you so much for how you extended time to me and how you changed my life. And God, I just pray for each person here as they wrestle with this, God. I know it is like where the rubber meets the road. But yet, Jesus, you said, we can't serve both God and money. And we know when we serve debt where that gets us, it leads us to no freedom. So what would would happen if we did things your way instead of our way? What would happen in our lives? And what would happen for the sake of others? It'd be amazing, God. It'd be amazing to see us radically committed to not living what's the norm in this life, but to pursue you and to surrender that and make a commitment to you, God. To see so many lives changed for you. So God, give us the courage to take that step. As we pray during this song, I pray that some of the people here would make those types of commitments. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.